From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derek Hayes. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Good to be here again. A quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at... 404-777-HURT. We teased this on the last show. This is listener questions. This has come through your podcast tab on your website. Yes. Okay. So before we even go any further and jump into the first question, if someone has a question in their listening, how do they submit? Well, I already get an abundance of questions. And, and again, the, the content for today's show is based solely upon some of the questions that have come in, and I could truly do three or four more shows to cover them all, but you can reach out to me through my website. It's Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M as in Matthew, and then Hayes, H-A-Y-S. So DerekMHayes.com is my website. On the website, you'll see a podcast tab. Click the tab, and then there's an area there where you can submit a question or a topic request that I'll definitely cover uh, you know, on one of the shows on down the road. And, and today I had so many, I decided to go ahead and, and stop, pause the, the series I was doing and, and, and start answering some of these. But nonetheless, you can catch me that way. There's also a remarks section uh, where you can comment there about the podcast. You can also too submit an email directly to me through my website, and I'll be happy to address those questions either directly to you, call you or email you back or go to the uh, podcast and if, do it that way. If you're listening, let me go ahead and mention, we don't plug this very often I guess I just assume people are going to do it but if you are currently listening to this show will you hit five stars and give us a subscribe and a like I mean obviously if, if you're here and you're following Derek and and you love all the content that he's putting out give him give him a review yeah that five works stars. we love it right Absolutely. thank you I never say that I just again you just assume uh, and you have all great reviews on there. Well, the so. interesting thing is I've had lots of people tell me oh I listen to your podcast all the time I've even had attorneys uh, friends of mine, oh, I love listening to your podcast because yeah. I know you and, and I enjoy uh, you know, driving in the car or I'll put it on, that kind of thing. But it, it's funny because people don't really think to rate. Podcasts. I don't. Yeah. I don't. And I'm a podcaster, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm on two shows and I do the mind, same thing. Yes. If I'm sitting and I'm listening and I have uh, someone that I'm, I'm listening to her series right now, which is interesting because that's not really something I do, but I now have a long commute because we live in the country. So uh, yeah. And I, and I don't think I've done that and I will, I'm going to do that this afternoon. I'm going yeah, to hold myself accountable. All right. So listener questions, let's jump right into the first one here without delay. Okay. All right. This one didn't come through the podcast, but this was a call, correct? Correct. This is it, a common question. Right. And I plug this one in here because I get this, like you said, a common question. I get 
get it all the time. Okay. So I figured I'd go ahead and address it, at least in the podcast. But go ahead. I was injured in a car wreck, but my car wasn't badly damaged. Is it true that juries will not believe that I am hurt if the damage is relatively minor? I'm going to give the preamble for all of the answers to all these questions, and that is I cannot, under any circumstances, give specific legal advice to anyone who's not a client. So I'm going to answer these in general terms, not in specific terms to your case. If you do have a more detailed question, please call my office, and I'll be happy to to go in depth and and talk about how I can help you. Uh, But to answer the question, though, insurance companies will refer to a wreck like that as a low-velocity collision. And that means they're trying to minimize the, the impact itself. I've never heard that term. Right. And, and uh, they'll hire experts, uh, many of which already have experts on staff. The bigger insurance companies have these accident reconstructionists, mechanical engineers. And, and I can almost quote them every time. They'll say they couldn't have been hurt in the impact. Now, the interesting thing about that is the average weight of a vehicle, take all the trucks, the cars that are out on the road, the average weight, weight and I looked this up, is 2,871 pounds. That's one vehicle. The average adult weighs 181 pounds. That's across gender lines. Just take the average adult, 181 pounds, in a vehicle that weighs, on average, 2,871 pounds. Now, when those two vehicles collide, two different things that weigh almost 3,000 pounds, the energy of that impact has to travel somewhere, and it travels through the confines of the vehicle. And the people that are in that vehicle weighing, on average, 181 pounds as adults, and I'm sure children, it's much less than 100 pounds, they're going to feel that impact. They're going to feel the energy that, that's created by those two impacts, those those two very heavy objects colliding with each other. In fact, Georgia State University here in Metro Atlanta did a study about hyperphysics. It was called the Hyperphysics Project. A 160-pound person. So a little bit less than the average weight, 160-pound person wearing a seatbelt and traveling around 30 miles per hour in a vehicle. That person will experience around 30 Gs of force in a front-end collision with a fixed object. Now, that's not an object coming at them at 30 miles per hour Mm -hmm. or 40 or 50 miles per hour. That's a fixed object. So going 30 miles per hour, hitting that object, you're going to feel 30 Gs of force. That's an incredible impact on the body. You know, our body's not made to withstand that kind of impact. So that's really, it's it's the, uh, it's 2.4 tons of force acting on the body. 2.4 tons of force generated from that impact. And that goes directly into the human body. So on a personal note, to, to kind of expand on this even more, a low velocity collision, a minor impact, uh, all those phrases you're going to hear, it's usually considered to be anything less than about $1,500 in property damage. Anything less than that falls into that category. Some insurance companies, it's $1,000. Some, it's $2,000. But I I can say from personal experience, I have a $1.5 million outcome on a case with what was categorized as a minimal property damage, low-velocity impact. And I wound up with $1.5 million for my client. So it's not an absolute answer that juries or insurance companies uh, well, insurance companies will believe you're not hurt because that's the whole basis of their argument. But juries don't always buy that argument. There are absolutely justifications for an injury, no matter what speed the vehicles may be traveling, 10 miles per hour, 20 miles per hour. There's going to be an impact. There's going to be some resulting force that's going to affect the, the body. The human body, as I said, can't withstand that kind of impact. All I keep thinking of is other shows we've done and advice 
from those shows and if you are going to try to represent yourself and you have one of these low velocity collisions the defense is going to hammer you they're going to know all this terminology they're going to downplay this and that's what the question is based off of fear but having someone like yourself Derek to represent you and really be able to prove everything that you just explained right that's that's the case that's usually what prompts that call to me sure Uh, I, I talked to the adjuster they said that I only had $1,000 or $500 or $700 damage to my vehicle, and they said they're not going to pay for my medical bills, so what do I do? And they wind up calling, and I wind up talking to them. And, and you know, of course, the common sense side of this is if you have a car that rolls four or five times and goes up in flames, clearly nobody's going to doubt you could have been hurt. If you survive that impact, it's a miracle. But if you have a car that's, uh, they'll call it a bumper scuff or a transfer of paint, well, you know, that's still an impact. And that impact is significant enough to injure lots and lots of people. Um, you know, if I'm a 80-year-old or 90-year-old person in, in relatively poor health, I'm going to feel that impact far differently than someone who may be an Olympic athlete in tip-top shape in their 20s. But there's still going to be some mechanism of injury from that what would be deemed to be a minor uh, minimal impact collision. All right, I'm going to go to the next question. This one is from Steve from Johns Creek. He wrote in to the podcast tab uh, on your website that you explained. Is there a specific course of medical treatment that is necessary after a car wreck? The hospital checked me out, took x-rays, gave me some prescriptions, and told me to follow up as needed. They didn't tell me where I can go to get follow-up treatment. I am still hurting over a week after my wreck. What should I do? Well, I'll go back to what I said. I can't give specific legal advice, and I've reached out to him via uh, email, and uh, you know, hopefully he's going to call me, and, and we could talk a little more thoroughly specifically about his situation. But I'll, I'll say this. The treatment is driven by your complaints and the severity of the injuries, period. So if you feel bad after the impact, you go to the hospital. As I said, you get some prescription medications. You go home, and you find that you recover very well. And the next day or a couple of days later, you're back to 100%. Well, hey, that's terrific, but that's also rare. Most people don't recover that immediately or that well, uh, again, after the, the kind of impact we talked about even in the first question. So as far as treatment is concerned, there isn't a standard course of treatment, again, in general terms, that anyone is required to follow. You're not required to go to X number of physical therapy appointments, X number of chiropractic visits, X number of x-rays or CT scans or ultrasounds or MRIs. I tell clients this all the time. You know your body better than anybody else. You know how you're hurting, where you're hurting, and when you're hurting. And it's your responsibility, it's the best word to use there, to be that zealous advocate for yourself, to explain that to your treating physician, your physical therapist, your chiropractor, to let them know what's going on so that they can appropriately address those complaints and help you get well. But if you're asking, again, to, to go back to the basic part of the question, a specific course of medical treatment that is necessary. Necessary, right. And that's, that's the key word. Sure. For a car, the answer is no. Right. What's necessary is going to be what your body requires to recover. Well, and every injury is different. Sure, sure. We right? call it maximum medical improvement. Maximum right. medical improvement, MMI, means that you've gotten back to the point that you're not going to recover anymore. You're as well as you're going to get. Hopefully it's as well as you were before the wreck occurred, but the reality is most people are not going to get back to the same level of wellness they had before their tragic car wreck. So maximum medical improvement is when you're ready to be and and generally going to be released by your treating physician. 
it's where you've gotten to uh, the, the point of, of as much wellness as you can expect to get, depending on your injuries. Okay. You know, you think to the point I was just making, what if I hurt my shoulder? And I was in a minor car, you know, I hurt my shoulder and you could hurt your leg. I mean, it's completely different sure, from your sure. primary care. And some of it may be insurance-based, too. Well, then that's, right? that's part You're not just going to well. jump into physical therapy uh-huh. if you don't have a referral from your primary care that says that, you know, that elbow needs some work. I yeah, mean, you must you know. have read ahead because we're going right Oh, now. we are. No, <laughs> that's, no. no that, that's, I ha- I'm just reading the questions. I don't have anything else. And, so. and that, that is, again, it piggybacks into the next question, which okay. is why I chose it about health insurance but i'll let you go all right let me okay so this one came through from Susie indicula she writes i don't have any health insurance i am concerned that the insurance company for the person that hit me isn't going to pay my medical bills if they don't pay am i still responsible to pay for the treatment i receive all right as an attorney you always say answer the question first so the actual question is if they don't pay am i still responsible to pay for the treatment i receive the answer is yes yes You are ultimately responsible for paying any medical bills you incur while you treat, whether it's a hospital, an ambulance, a chiropractor, a physical therapist, a radiologist, whatever it may be. Those bills are your bills, period. So there's a misconception that people have, and and again, in general terms, that if I incur a medical expense uh, as as part of a car wreck, the other person's insurance company is going to pay the hospital for me. They're going to pay the doctor's office. They're going to pay them. Well, no, they don't pay them directly. What they do is they settle a claim with you, and then it's ultimately your responsibility to satisfy those bills you've incurred. So health insurance, to, to kind of piggyback off your question, and really, uh, you know, she, she does say in hers she doesn't have health insurance, but I do want to answer that part. So health insurance will likely reject the bill if they're caused by a car wreck. And most people don't realize that. No. And that's shocking. And, and here's why. It, it's called a third-party liability bill. Now, to, to kind of give a quick summary, when I purchase health insurance, I'm creating a contract with the health insurance company, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Kaiser, Aetna, United Healthcare, go through the litany of, of companies. When I purchase health insurance, I'm paying them to take care of something that's not caused by somebody else. A cold, the flu, covid cancer, diabetes, or if I'm at home and I'm changing a light bulb and I fall off a ladder and I break my leg, well, nobody caused that. I fell off that ladder. That's what health insurance is there to take care of is those things that are not caused by somebody else. When my injury is caused by a third party, someone else, a car wreck, a dog bite, a slip and fall, those kind of things, then that third party is ultimately responsible for paying my bills. So the health insurance company will look at it, and depending on how the the bill is coded by the provider when it's submitted to them, they'll look at the coding. And if they see it's a third party liability bill, a bill incurred because of someone else's negligence, they will likely reject that bill and not pay it. So they will likely reject it without even knowing the facts and if there is another insurance so again if this was a hit and run they don't know that correct no, they're not going to die they're just deep. saying we're it's not a paying surface it review right surface review okay and that's it it's it's a very quick cursory okay look it's third party it was a car wreck we're not paying for that and they'll reject it because they can because that's what the contract calls for they're not there to pay for things caused by somebody else so To go further with that, since health insurance companies will likely reject a bill. Now, that's not an absolute answer. There are times where either they won't code it correctly or they won't read it or the right hand's not knowing what the left hand is doing and they'll wind up paying a bill. 
And when they do, there, there's an issue, and I'm not going to get into that, but it's called subrogation, which has to do the, with the reimbursement back to your health insurance company when your case is settled. A lot of people don't realize that if my health insurance pays my bill and I wind up getting recovery from somebody else's car insurance company, well, hey, I, I don't have to pay anything to the hospital because my health insurance paid it. Well, depending on your contract language, you may have to reimburse the health insurance plan for the money they paid. So you don't escape completely if the health insurance plan pays it. You may, again, depending on your contract language, have to reimburse them. Nobody's going to want to do that. No. and, and I the would problem, never want to get that check and then have well, to give it back. Here's the thing. And, and again, this is the necessity of an attorney. I know what language is required to be in that contract to force you to have to reimburse them. There are countless times where people handle claims on their own or try to, and they wind up getting that letter from the health insurance company saying, oh, by the way, that $5,000 hospital bill we paid, you owe us back. And they don't know that the contract itself may not require it. So they see that letter and go, oh, my gosh, I have to write a check for five grand back to Blue Cross Blue Shield because they paid my hospital bill. But in reality, your contract language may not require it. And as an attorney, I know what to look for. I know the case law. I know the, the specifics of the language that have to be there to enforce that right of subrogation, that right of reimbursement. So if I don't have to pay them back and I see that in the contract for my client, I'm not paying them back. I'll send the letter, tell them, sorry, it's not coming back, and here's why. Right. Now, MedPay is the other source. MedPay is kind of like health insurance on your car. If you've got MedPay, it's also referred to as MPC. You can use that to step in and pay your bills as you treat. Again, as an attorney, I know what needs to be done to tap into that. Treatment can be done on a lien basis where a facility agrees to treat you, but they postpone their payment until your claim is settled. So you're oh, not paying okay. out of pocket every time you're going. But you They'll, have to negotiate that well, clearly. Right. And, and that lien many times will not happen without an attorney involved because they know as a provider that the attorney is more likely to get a recovery, so they're more willing to work with an attorney and provide the lien for the client. Uh, another option is funding companies. There are companies out there now that will fund your medical treatment, again, postponing their reimbursement until your case is settled, and once it is, they get reimbursed from that. So there are all kinds of options that are available. There are some others, but I can help you with those specific options if you don't have health insurance, uh, if you're concerned about the insurance company not paying your medical bills, and uh, also, too, the, the responsibility that comes that when, when those bills are incurred. As I said, to, to initially answer the question, if they don't pay you, the insurance company, the car insurance company, those bills for the providers, your hospital, your doctor's office, they don't go away. You still owe those bills, period. All right. We're going to leave Georgia and we're going to head to Tennessee because this question came from John in Tennessee. Is there a mathematical formula to determine the value of my claim? I looked online and saw something called an injury calculator. Is that really something that insurance companies and juries use? Okay, I, I will say this. I've seen those uh, those injury calculators myself. And, and, I've never and, seen and one. Don't, do not, <laughs> and underline those words, do not rely on an injury calculator. Everybody do it and text Derek that your case is worth $20 million. <laughs> the injury calculator, it, it, it's, it's honestly, it, it's, I understand why people would put them out there, but the reality is every claim has its own value depending on specific facts. That injury calculator approach is not going to know all the facts of your claim. 
it's not going to know issues of liability. It's not going to know about the DUI potentially of the at-fault driver, the reckless driving, the hit and run. It's not going to know about the venue of where the case is going to be filed and what the typical outcomes have been on comparable cases. It's not going to know about your recovery. It's not going to know all those things that are necessary to determine the individual value of your claim. There is no mathematical formula. It used to be people thought, well, three times the medical bills or two times the medical bills or whatever. No, 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 no. Juries aren't instructed that way. They're not told, well, you take the medical bills three times that amount, and that's what you give the plaintiff, if you believe the plaintiff. No, juries aren't going to see an injury calculator. They're not going to have a computer to tap into or go online and, and plug in the numbers and plug in the facts. The juries are going to, the standard is, the enlightened consciousness of a jury. They're going to determine what's appropriate based on the facts once they've heard it. So absolutely not. Do not rely on injury calculator. Insurance companies have their programs they use, which is different from an injury calculator, but still it undervalues what the case is typically worth. Sorry, John. Don't use the injury calculator. Just call Derek. Yeah. He can walk you through it. That's the best way to do it. And on a side note, if you call an attorney in the very beginning, they say, oh, I'll get you $500,000 for what happened. No, 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 no. They don't know that. Nobody. They're telling you what they think you want to hear. Nobody can tell you the value of the case until they see all the facts. And then that's it. That's the answer. We're going to come back to the state of Georgia. This came from Jesse in Atlanta, Georgia. Jesse was on a motorcycle. So we know these Atlanta roads. Unfortunately, he was hit. Let me read uh, the question. I was on a motorcycle and was injured by a hit and run driver that ran into me. Nobody was able to get the tag number or much of a description of the driver. I was knocked off my bike and never saw the car at all. What can I do? Again, I can't give specific legal advice, but in general yeah, terms. Yeah, yeah, you keep saying that. What, what, can, terms, what can we do for Jesse? So as an attorney, there, there are things we would do. Number one, I'd look for traffic cameras. I'd look for cameras in the area. Uh, you know, Nowadays, with ring doorbells, if it's in a commercial area, many, many businesses have cameras outside their business now to aim towards the front door, potentially even towards the roadway. I have had many, many car wrecks caught on, on video cameras. Uh, just recently, I had a man who was outside of uh, uh, an intersection by a uh, fire station, and the fire station has a camera that points towards the door of the fire station, but it catches the intersection. And in the background, you see a very high-speed collision where somebody ran a stop sign and T-boned my client's vehicle, and, and it was a horrible wreck, but the entire thing was caught on camera. So that wow. is a one way. There are also times where you might not see initially an eyewitness, but uh, by investigation, you may be able to track someone down who was there and can at least give a, a description potentially of the car or the driver or, or somehow some way help to find them. Now, the other thing is, and this is really the key, is if we never find that person, never find that vehicle, we do look to what's known as your uninsured motorist coverage on your car insurance company or your car insurance coverage, your personal coverage. Uninsured motorist kicks in where that person flees the scene and they're never found. They're deemed to be uninsured. So the claim itself is now handled and settled with your own personal car insurance coverage. You've paid for that. So every time you write a check for your premiums, whether it's every two months, six months, or a year, you're writing part of that check to provide, if you have it, uninsured motors for situations just like this. I can tell you right now, I probably have three or four different cases that are actively moving forward where it is an uninsured motors where people fled the scene or it was a stolen vehicle. You know, there are other reasons why UM will kick in. Uh, but in, in a situation like this where he was knocked off his motorcycle and the person fled and there's likely a chance they'll never find him, 
I hope that he does have uninsured motorist coverage because that's the avenue. Again, most people don't think about that unless you handle claims for a living or you deal with it. They don't realize, well, since that car fled, I still have a chance to, to resolve my case. I can still get paid for what happened to me. I can still have money to pay my medical bills. And that's the benefit, I say it all the time, of using an attorney and specifically calling Derek. I, you know, I'm 44 years old. I've been driving a long time. I didn't know about UM even until we started doing the show. Yeah, and the you did a whole is, show about it, right? You, you and, or it. or yeah. a snippet in a show. but Right, and you have it on your coverage. And I have it. I just I've never know. used it, right. didn't know about it, you know. And nothing. people always tell me, too, well, I don't want to use my own insurance because my rates are going to go up. Well, rates are supposed to be based on risk. As your risk factors go up, your rates go up. So by definition, an uninsured motorist claim where the person fled the scene, it was not your fault. You, you do not have an ele elevated risk for something that, that you didn't do wrong. You know, again, in his example, he was, he was on his motorcycle. He was stopped. He got yeah. rear-ended. There's nothing wrong with that. So again, it's, it's not something that will elevate your rate simply based on the fact you have an uninsured motorist claim. Well, Jesse, thank you for your question. And John and Susie and everybody else who submitted, I know that we have more in the queue, but we are wrapping up today. I have one final question. This came from a law student who is interested in shadowing you, correct? Yes, yes. And I thought this was, because we always end on you, uh, tell everyone how to find you, but answer this question. With all the areas of law and things you do with a law degree, why did you decide to specialize in personal injury law? That's the second question I've had from a law student on the well, website. Yes, I know. Uh, the answer is And very, this one said, and can I come shadow you? But that yeah, was good too. Yes, but yes. anyway, answer the question. Well, I, I did experience another area of the law right out of law school. I did federal criminal appellate work representing people post-convictions uh, of federal crimes. Uh, and with that being said... I kind of learned pretty quickly that was not for me. Personal injury work to me is exciting. Every day is a different day. Every car wreck is a different story. And they're all a bunch of short stories if you want to look at it that way. Uh, unfortunately, they're horrible because somebody's been injured you know, catastrophically or sometimes death. And, and you have to learn to deal with that aspect of it. But it's you're helping people. You truly are legitimately helping people who are in one of the worst situations in their life. Nobody ever wants to be in a car wreck. Never, nobody ever wants to be attacked by a dog or, or in a negligent security situation. They don't want to be shot by someone or robbed or beaten, unfortunately, at times. There, there are all kinds of horrible things that happen. And my job in the personal injury law is to represent them against in most cases, billion-dollar insurance companies whose sole intent is to pay them as little as they have to, but as much as they need to to make them go away. And that's it, to make them go away. My job is to make them be fully compensated, to make that multi-billion-dollar insurance company do what they should do to resolve, uh, unfortunately, a, a car wreck or whatever it may be, and to compensate my client appropriately. So the thrill is when you have represented someone and there's closure and there's happiness and you can never put them back to 100% depending on the severity of their injury, but you can at least bring closure. You can give them some level of happiness in, in how this turns out. You know, it's a horrible situation. Never, You can't wave the magic wand and make it go away. But you do get to see someone kind of go through a very tough time and, and as the attorney, help them find that closure and that compensation to get them back on their feet. I have clients who will reach back out to me after the fact, and some have written me letters, some have called me, 
well, I've got one client. He stops by the office about once every month or so. <laughs> hey, just want to stop in and say hey, and, and it's it's nice to hear that. Yeah. Um, so you truly are helping people in this in this part of the law. Well, thank you for that, and thank you for your time and doing this and and helping all of your listeners. Uh, I know you have a big following, and that is uh, who you are and and your mission here to go into this type of law just to help people. I know that about you. So, wrap up. Tell everyone once again how to find you and how to reach out and how to submit questions. Sure. My website, Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M, and then Hayes, H-A-Y-S, so DerekMHayes.com. That's the website. As I said, you can chat with me there. You can send me an email. You can make podcast comments or post questions, those kind of things. But And you can also check out a lot about my firm. You can also, on the podcast tab, listen to all the prior podcasts. I also have uh, Instagram and Facebook, Law Office of Derek M. Hayes, and Twitter. My phone number is 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970. My main office is in Lawrenceville, Georgia. I'm also located now in Watkinsville, Georgia, but I can handle cases throughout the country, and I have. So if you have a question or you're thinking, well, you're in Georgia, you can't help me here, well, that's fine. Reach out to me. There's a pretty good chance I can, uh, or at least answer some questions to steer you in the right direction. Absolutely. Thank you much, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, five-star rating. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.